Sorry. Did you want to clap while you're at well, it or sing I mean, a song? It was, my, I, it was my pen. I'm sorry. <laughs> over there doing construction, and I'm trying to hold a podcast. I didn't say anything when you were flipping nine million papers. <laughs> okay, go, go. Okay, go back. No. <laughs> go. Now it's on. <laughs> Boy, we talking like an old married couple. I know, right? <laughs> Welcome to Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimler. I'm Jamil Brooks. And we're coming to you from Greenwood, South Carolina, a little red county in a very red state. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating, tell your friends about us, follow us on social media, or better yet, Somebody call social services because according to Republican King Donald Trump, Republicans are eating their own children. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I am not kidding you. Listen to these words that he spoke last week. Let me play this clip so you can hear it for yourself. But remember, Republicans eat their young. They really do. They eat their young. Terrible statement, but it's true. (laughs) Why does that not sound like... No, Bill. Bill, do you not remember me saying that they will eat their young on one of our recordings? I don't recall that. We'll have to go back and listen. The statement he was trying to make was they eat their own, the way that they turn on each other with this house leadership thing. But no, he didn't say it. He said they eat their young. And not only that, he said it twice. He doubled down on it. You can always drop us a note at black, white, blue, in the south at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, topic ideas. You can also follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and even Threads. We have a Linktree page that can connect you to everything. So be sure to look at the show notes where we'll have that and links to all material mentioned in today's episode. If you want to represent, you first need to be present. (laughs) You know where I got that from? I mean, I made that up, but but it was inspired. I recently received an email from someone in Greenwood that underscored how many of our local legislators simply are not present for their constituents. Hmm. Even if you're talking to them in person and they just talk right past you or they say what they want to say, they're not present. So I'm going to read this email. I'm going to keep his name uh, anonymous. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good evening. I am reaching out about how I might get involved in electing people to our state legislature who are responsive to the community. Recently, I had the opportunity to talk with State Senator Garrett, and all he wanted to talk about was the new, quote, In God We Trust plaques. I have tried to reach out to Representative McCravey numerous times about education-related issues and have never gotten a response that message was even received. So, yes, We need representatives who are going to be present and responsive. I, for one, intend to be that. And I know I'm that. Absolutely. There is so much happening in the world right now that today's episode is going to be a series of quick hits on topical news items. But before we do that, let's introduce our new topic called... On the campaign trail. Yay. You might have heard that both Jamil and I launched our campaigns for South Carolina State House recently. Jamil for District 12, myself for District 13. So we want to give you an honest behind-the-scenes look 
at what it's like to run for office. Jamil and I are just regular folk. Well, she's yeah. a little less regular than I am. She's <laughs> exceptional. But I'm just regular folk. But we also come from very different backgrounds. Yeah. At the same time, we are super motivated to make a positive difference in our community. And we want to show you that running for office is within your reach. It doesn't take any superstar power. It just takes a strong desire to make the world a better place. That's right. Fire up! So, Jamil, do you want to start off by uh, sharing an event you attended or people you spoke to or anything you've done with your campaign so far? I'm so glad that you and I are taking this campaign journey together because it will help the people in both 12 and 13. And I had the opportunity to go to the Promised Land community meeting. And for those constituents and residents of Promised Land, I must say that I truly enjoyed it. If you're in that area, make sure you're at the next meeting because they are definitely figuring out ways to continue to operate as one and be productive. And I just love to join that conversation. Promised Land. Now, that's not an actual place on the map you can find, right? It's not an incorporated town. It is not. But if it is in your district, you should find it. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Promised Land's got a neat history that maybe we'll cover one day. Okay. And then Abbeville. Yep. Went to Abbeville. We tag teamed that. So what was the point of going to Abbeville? That's in neither of our districts. It's not. But you know what? The catch here is, and we have got to start to think like this more. Sometimes you got to go out of your district to help other individuals. And if you're passionate about helping people, you'll go wherever. So when I was asked by the chair of the Abbeville Democratic Party to come, I asked her, I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? She say the stuff that you normally talk about. And I was like, perfect. Give me a mic. Let's go. So I'm talking about what people need to know, whether they're in our district or not. And it is the power that they have with voting. That's an excellent point. This past week, I went to 96, which is yeah. in my precinct, 13. They had a walk against crime and drugs. Mm, I like and it. I would say about a dozen or so city officials, town officials, first responders were out there and just concerned citizens walked up and down the streets of 96 and the fire truck and the ambulance and the police car, you know, all wailed their sirens. Kids came out and waved. We waved back. And, awesome. and I'll tell you this, based on my time walking up and down the streets, there was no crime. There was no drugs. So I propose we just do that 24 by 7. I don't know if we're going to be able to. (laughs) Across all the streets in 96, and we will have no crime. But it was nice to see. And then afterwards, volunteers cooked some hot dogs and chili and had some snacks and drinks and some fellowship back in the hall. I like the way the town came together to make a stance and say we are against crime and drugs. That's right. That matters. It does. That was nice. And then yesterday, I spent the morning with the Lawrence County Democratic Party. okay. They actually have a nice office, too. They secured themselves an office. They got a meeting room and and a place for all their stuff, and it was really neat to see. Oh, okay. So hats off to them. I was jealous, a little envious when I showed up. That's okay. We're going to get there. We are. I'm there because one of the voting precincts is in Lawrence County. Okay. Precinct called Mount Olive, which has quite a few hundred potential voters in there. And, oh boy, I got my clock cleaned last election. 80% to 20% in this precinct. It was the worst loss that I had. Now, it's extraordinarily conservative precinct. And, of course, with redistricting and you get to pick and choose what precincts you want, that was prime meat for a Republican to to pick. But still, I think I could do better than 80-20. Let's go for 75-25. Let's go for 70-30. Let's try to to win that. So I was there to introduce myself to the Lawrence County Democratic Party. Okay. 
at this phase of our campaign, we're trying to make sure we're known among our friendlies. Yes. All right, we're going to safe territories, true blue. I didn't convert anybody, yeah. but I was introducing myself, just as you were introducing yourself to Promised Land, just yes. as you introduced yourself to the McCormick County the week before, Yeah. to get known, to build that knowledge and start to make a name for yourself. Then the next phase after that is to introduce yourself to friendlies who aren't active in politics. That's okay. a tough group to reach. It is. But, you know, based on the demographic, based on their voting history, they're your friends. You need to get to know them. And then as we get into the thick of things next summer, we go after independents and convertible yeah. Republicans. All right. I'm ready. Let's do it. Any surprises so far on the campaign trail? You know, I think the biggest surprise is what people know. But I will tell you that what I am starting to love most is the vulnerability of our constituents. If they don't know, they are comfortable enough in front of us to ask that question or to make that statement. And I think that that helps both of us as candidates be vulnerable as well and say, hey, I appreciate that. Maybe that's something I'm not sure about, but I can get back to you on that. I just love the fact that if they don't know, they don't mind asking. Nice. And today, you and I have a practical issue we have to work through. Okay. We have to file end of quarter reports with the South Carolina State Ethics Commission. We do. I'm kind of excited. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, my filing's going to be easy because I raised no money, I spent no money. So that's a piece of cake. Okay. That's, that's a slam dunk. Okay. You, however, have a challenge because you've, got some, money. you've got some dough in the bank. Yay. Uh, so we'll walk you through that. That'll okay. be fun. And you don't want to cross the Ethics Commission. There was a, a representative. He's, he's an ex-representative. Maybe he was a senator. I don't recall. But he was using his campaign account to pay off mortgage statements. Oh, uh-huh, no. We and can't. Oh. He, had, he had dozens of ethics violations Not and fines illicit. laid against him. And that's common sense. You know you can't take from one account to pay for another. Nope. Okay, sir. Nope, nope, nope. For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news. The, the first topic today, and this is the heaviest one, and it's dominated the headlines around the world for the last week and a half, and, and even longer by the time this episode is released. It's about what's happening in Israel and in the Gaza Strip. Yeah. And there's not much that we can add to it that's not in the news already and, and covered by a hundred different angles, but I do want to share something personal. I work for a global company headquartered in Atlanta, and as a global company, they've got offices all around the world. And one of the offices I work with the most is actually based in Israel. I've developed relationships with quite a few Israelis. We got a note the day after the attacks from one of my direct team members that I speak with all the time. Mm -hmm. And he gave us a firsthand account of what transpired in his world. So I want to read that note to you. Okay. Uh, He wrote, You may have all heard the news about what's going on in Israel since last Saturday. I know you're all used to hearing about these occasional escalations where rockets are fired into our cities and we need to take shelter. These events typically don't impact our work and attention all that much. Can you imagine that? That that's just your normal day? Uh, Another rocket launch into our city? I can't. But what's happening now, he continued is a completely different story, and I want to share it with you all so that you understand why I may be distracted in the next few days or weeks. 
On Saturday morning, 6 a.m., I woke up to sirens and had to take my family and myself to shelter. As the day progressed, it was evident that these rocket attacks were only a diversion to penetration of a thousand or more Hamas-trained commando troops from the Gaza border into Israel. Those are terrorists trained by Iran for two years. They caught the Israeli defenses completely off guard using the holiday weekend to their advantage. The terrorists stormed 22 villages nearby the Gaza border and lacking any better word, conquered them for more than half the day. Mm. The terrorists went from home to home with only one goal, murder or kidnap civilians, men, women, children, babies, Holocaust survivors, you name it. Just if what I described so far did not sound horrible enough, the terrorists took pleasure in filming their acts of murder and posted them sometimes live to social media so all the victims, friends, and families can see what's going on. I would like to share just one story of our former co-worker, Sachi. You may know him. He was in our company for way longer than me and left only 1.5 years ago. He lives in a kibbutz called Nachal Az, pronunciations on me, just 60 miles south of our Israeli offices in Ra'ana, 50 miles south from my town. On Saturday morning, terrorists invaded his house and took him, his wife, and four children hostage as they were celebrating his daughter's 18th birthday. They murdered her in front of the entire family's eyes, including his six-year-old son, Mm. and eventually took him as a hostage to Gaza, alive as far as we know. How do we know all this? The terrorists posted it all live on social media. There is a 37-minute graphic video out there showing the events from start to finish. I choose not to open that video. The rest of his family is now safe. So far, we have more than 900 casualties, and the numbers, by the way, have just only skyrocketed since then. More than 3,000 wounded, about 150 captive civilians, including women, elderly, and babies separated from their parents. If you want to see for yourself, these images are widely available as Hamas takes pride in publishing them. The number of casualties are likely to grow. The news is flooded with literally hundreds of stories like the above. This was our 9-11. As you can see, I am still here working. Work is actually a good distraction from stories like the one above and dozens or more. Schools are out for the next few days at least, so I have less time than usual. Trying to work on the essential stuff and put off anything less critical. Sirens still go off one to two times a day, but I'm not too worried about them. The rest of the team in Israel is basically the same. I know many of you work with Israeli teams, so please bear with us for the next days or weeks. The country is mobilized for war that has already started. Hopefully only in the Gaza front and not to escalate to Lebanon, where a stronger enemy is waiting. Many were called for reserve duties. I am not likely to be called as I am considered too old, but can't completely rule that out in the future. Horrifying as it sounds, the situation is not an existential threat to Israel. We will win this war and come out stronger in a matter of weeks or months. It's just the cost that will be unbearable. And that was directly from somebody I spoke with just two days before in a conference call uh, working on a project together. And so that really brought it home. That just made me nauseous. There are no words. There are no words. But I will say that each of us can sit aside and develop whatever thought process we want. I don't know how they could see what is happening as okay. There should not have been a 37-minute anything posted and streamed anywhere for anyone to have access to. Whatever your goal or your intention was, to have someone subdued to that type of abuse and torture is not humane. Nope. It's not humane. 
different news outlets are showing the videos and saying this is going to be graphic images. My question to them would be, what is the intent at this part, at this time, in this particular catastrophe? So many innocent lives have been lost, regardless of what your stance is. Now, I don't pretend to fully comprehend the full history of that region, which goes back centuries. This is one of those circles of violence that they just can't seem to break out of. And it's always small groups of people on either side that just rile it up for everybody else. And then the number of innocents caught up thousands, tens of thousands. They're just bystanders who just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, near the wrong person. And now... You know, they're dead or maimed. Yeah. And that is my reason for saying I'm not, you know, it doesn't matter your stance because the history of what is happening in that land is so deep that even if you see headlines, you still don't have a, a, a ounce of what you need to make a sound decision on it. And what you're getting right now are clips, the inhumane treatment that is being displayed across media outlets and social media platforms. I'm calling for some type of control of that. 37 minutes of watching someone be murdered. What is the intent? Uh, The intent is terror. That's what it is. So our senator from South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, steps into the mix. Yeah, so Lindsey Graham, the headline reads, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina tells the squad members to shut the hell up. Because the squad called for de-escalation, he was saying that they had no clue of what they were talking about and that they were supporting the terroristic behaviors and that he could almost guarantee that their other Democratic party members did not agree with what the squad was saying. Just for some context as to where they might be coming from, the Gaza Strip is a very small, narrow piece of land. It's only 141 square miles. So think about it. It's 100 miles wide, 10 miles deep. That's small. I mean, you drive 100 miles, no problem, in an hour and a half, and then it's very narrow. It's bordered by Israel on Mm -hmm. one side. There's a very narrow opening to Egypt on the other side, and the rest of it is the sea. And there are over 2 million occupants of that very narrow stretch of land right now. So they are packed together. Mm. And Israel essentially controls today all movement in and out. They control the electricity, the water, the gas supplies. They control everything. There is a circle of violence where terrorist attacks come from there Mm -hmm. that causes Israel to clamp down more, which then causes more terrorist attacks, which then causes more clamp down to the point where now Israel is threatening a full invasion and evacuation of the Gaza Strip. Mm. They issued an, a dictum over the weekend to have all two million evacuate the Gaza Strip in 24 hours. Mm. So I want to I want to take a minute and go from what Senator Graham said when he said, "Well, shut the hell up." Seems to be a very productive di- political discourse. So, and here we go further as we say we need to come together in the House and work bipartisan. He further blasted President Joe Biden's appeasement policy towards Iran. When you use terms like "you are supporting terrorism." You are a disgrace to to the United States. And you reference President Biden's administration. I have no choice but to reference former President Trump's administration. And link Lindsay Wright to his decisions. Okay, well, and I just want to know how is it that he is okay when former President Trump said he admired Putin? President Trump actually came out and said Hamas was smart. He said it. He said Hamas was smart and Israel was dumb. And he said, said former President Trump also said that he admired the way that Putin invaded Ukraine. He admired it. Well, I think President Biden has been masterful in his support of Israel. 
in the Israeli press and the Israeli government. They're besides themselves yeah. in gratitude for what everything Biden has said and done since. Yes. And it's funny that here is one of the worst atrocities that has been committed in world history. And the first thing that some of these Republican candidates do, like Tim Scott, they attack their own. <laughs> He says, "You know what? Oh yeah, has you know Hamas just killed uh, a thousand Israelis? Let me attack my own president." That is just so bonkers and so opportunistic, and yep. it's pathetic and very sad. And uh, no respect for this guy. None whatsoever. Jim Jordan's past comes back to haunt him as Ohio State wrestlers speak out. I think by the time you hear this episode, there should have been a House floor vote for Jim Jordan as the next Speaker of the House. Lord Jesus. That was just announced a few minutes ago that it was scheduled for Tuesday. So by the time this episode reaches the ears of our listeners, whatever was supposed to happen on Tuesday has transpired. So. Okay. But still, Jim Jordan, we've heard kind of on the periphery that there is some sort of scandal that he was witness to during his time as a wrestling coach. This is at Ohio State University. He worked there as a coach from 1986 to 1994. There were complaints of sexual abuse from one of the officials there. It was the team doctor, a guy named Richard Strauss. Mm -hmm. Literally... 177 complaints of sexual misconduct Mm. made against this guy. Now, this guy killed himself in 2005. Mm -hmm, He did. So there's no denying of guilt here. We we know what occurred with him. Mm -hmm. But the controversy here is that as a wrestling coach, Jim Jordan stood by and did nothing while these these allegations and activities were going on. Mm -hmm. He says he never heard or saw of any abuse. And if he had, he would have dealt with it. (laughs) It's almost 200 student athletes had filed lawsuits and issued complaints. But if he had heard something. One of the students said the accusations surrounding Strauss were an open secret Mm. while Jordan was there. He said that this doctor's locker was near Jim Jordan's locker and that they all talked about it. He said, quote, Jimmy knew about it because we talked about it all the time in the locker room, at practices, everywhere. So Jim Jordan playing dumb mm-hmm. as sexual abuse was going on mm-hmm. is reprehensible. And he really thinks that his constituents are dumb by denying that he was even aware that it occurred. And this is who they want to vote to do what for us? Oh, oh. <laughs> Do nothing except ruin Congress again. Remember, Jim Jordan was the one leading the charge not to certify the 2020 election. They want to put him in charge. So why is it that they're just so supportive of this guy? I'm telling you, it is something about them. They will look the other way. So Nancy Mace, who was... You know, part of the small group of people that kicked Kevin McCarthy out. <laughs> of course, they run to her for all sorts of quotes now because they realize that she is unhinged and is good fodder for television. <laughs> so they rush to her and say, "How do you support Jim Jordan with you know the the sexual assault allegations in the past from his time in Ohio?" She says that she wasn't aware of allegations. She says, oh, I'm not familiar with anything of that, but everybody knows I support women. Like she just completely went irrelevant. I I need her not to do that ever again, because here you are, and we're relying on you to be an expert of some sort. You're going to support somebody running for speaker, and you haven't even done your research to see what they have done in the past? What? Is it me? Are people tripping? No. uh, Right here and now, I don't support Nancy Mace, but I will take 10 minutes out of my day to chat with her and show her how to Google stuff. Because it's easy. Yes. Type in Jim Jordan, 
sexual assaults, and you will find all the information you need. It's that easy. Gosh. So I got embroiled in a bit of controversy over the past week. (laughs) This was crazy, and I did not expect it. So I announced my candidacy for House District 13, gave a speech at the Carnell Drummond Mays Banquet, Yeah, uh, had some good lines in there, I thought, and one of them was about a baby penguin. That's right. All right, I'm going to play that clip for you now for context. Okay. They are rapidly banning books and attacking librarians, attacking them because someone saw a children's book that featured two male penguins raising a child penguin. They called it sexualizing our children. If you look at two penguins and are thinking about sex, I think you've got a deeper penguin phobia issue to deal with. So that was uh, a good line. Um, I posted it on uh, TikTok and, you know, received some likes, posted it on Instagram, received some likes, posted it on YouTube. Holy cow. I got several thousand views and over 50 very heinous no comments way. underneath. You just, you just can't tell what platform or what content on what day is going to take off. So I was caught a little bit off guard. Now, give some advice to you and your campaign. If okay. you decide to start using social media at some point yeah. and you get these negative reactions, you don't engage. Got it. For your own sanity. Because I'm petty. Correct. Okay, now, <laughs> if, if people start to cross the line and come after family or do something personal, yeah, then, then you block them, but you don't engage. But otherwise, you just need to let others see the poison that's out there. Yeah, okay. So I want to share with you um, a, oh, <laughs> a couple Lord. of comments. But first, before we go to the comments, what is this Penguin book that I was referring to? Okay. It is a children's book called... And Tango Makes Three, published in 2005. So this isn't something that just came out. It's been around for almost 20 years. Yes, okay. This book, and it is so delightful, tells the story of two male penguins, Roy and Silo, okay. who create a family together. With the help of the zookeeper, Roy and Silo were given an egg that they helped hatch. Okay. The female chick, the little baby penguin chick, that completes their family is consequently named Tango by the zookeepers. Now, here's the kicker. I bet you didn't know this. The book was based on a true story. No way. Of two actual penguins, Roy and Silo. And here at this zoo, two male penguins actually bonded. The zookeeper seeing that had a a leftover egg somewhere, (laughs) gave it to Roy and Silo, and Roy and Silo hatched it, took care of it, raised it, and Tango made three. What a delightful little story. Cute. This book became one of the most frequently challenged books from 2006 to 2010, as well as the sixth most challenged book between 2010 and 2019. Why? I mean, I'm rolling my eyes, y'all, if y'all can't tell it. Homosexuality in animals has been seen as controversial by certain conservative circles. First, they deny it's the case because they always say it's not natural. Then you point to nature and say, uh, look at these penguins, you know, and, and look all over the animal kingdom. You do see same sex bonding going mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. but they don't like that because they still believe it is not natural in humans. Okay. They say that illustrating this in animals uh, makes it normal 
and they don't want to normalize this behavior. In fact, just a couple weeks back, Moms for Liberty in Tennessee, some lady came out in a public hearing wanting to remove references to seahorses in the textbooks in the school because seahorse, male seahorses actually they get birth the babies. Right. Yeah. And they find that objectionable and they don't want children to be given the wrong idea. Oh my goodness. That's how bonkers they have become. So don't teach what male seahorses do right. biologically. I'm going to read some of these comments. You ready for this? I think so. Should I just keep my finger down on the eye roll button? Yeah, because it ain't going to stop. <laughs> All right, here are some choice words that I received on my YouTube post for my clip. Okay. So, is the person noticing the two male penguins the one thinking about sex, or is it the person who wrote the book and allowed it in the school's thinking about sex? In any event, keep trying to deny you are indoctrinating these children. Generally, penguins are not sexually dimorphic, meaning males and females look alike. However, we know what y'all are doing. Selective reasoning. Now, what about the books that are showing sex that read like a porn magazine? How you know how the porn magazine read? Well, there's, there's another reference to porn magazine. Here we go. Another comment. So, you are cool with Hustler Busty in the library for third graders. Get some help, please. Hustler Busty. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> if one may not discern between a male and female penguin, then the author would have had to mention the baby penguin was being raised by two homosexual penguins. That's grooming to normalize sodomy. How do you... Okay. How, wow, this dude shouldn't have children. I don't think that him and his boyfriend can. <laughs> so now, now I'm, I'm gay. Now you're gay. Now I'm gay. So anyhow, the comments just were just vile and disgusting and purely homophobic all the way through. Yeah, so I, I, my question to the people who are typing, and um, first, I'm embarrassed because they actually typed that and thought that they were saying something. But in when you read the book, it doesn't say that the two of them did anything to have the baby. The zookeeper had an extra egg, and because they were paired up, they were always together anyway, this baby penguin was going to need somebody to love it, nurture it, and raise it, and those were the two. No one mentioned sex in the book. So why is it that adult minds are trying to turn it into something that it's not? It's two penguins. I got an extra egg, and I'm a zookeeper. This egg has to live. Here y'all go. There's a realization that I've had that this whole book banning and school censorship and stuff is not the issue. That's a proxy issue. The real issue is the perceptions towards homosexuality. That's where it all comes from. As far as I'm concerned, we can stop talking about books, stop talking about lessons and, and libraries and so on, because it comes to a point where there are people who think that there should not be gay people in our society, that they don't have a right to exist, that they don't have a right to love, that they don't have a right to live. That's what it boils down to. And that's a bunch of bull. And here with the two uh, male penguins who bonded, all the conversations and all the comments were about how homosexuality is a sickness how this book leads to sodomy, how all this other stuff is just evil from a hateful, bigoted group of individuals. Let me ask a question. Maybe I'm having a moment. What does sodomy have to do with raising a child, two men raising a child? Oh, you know what? I actually got a quote on that. 
Here's the answer to that question. Regardless of what people think about to men or to women, it is sexual in nature. It's called a sexual preference. We call it homosexuality. The culture of LGBTQ is completely sexual in nature. It's all they talk about. It's all they portray. So, and this is not for us because we would know this, but what does sodomy mean? And then answer the question, what does sodomy have to do with two penguins having an egg? Well, if you go to our show notes, you will not find links answering that question. (laughs) I know, because here what we're doing is we're trying to take a, a, a term and make it fit in a place that it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the scenario. The basic question that I would ask, let's say you had a teacher and on their desk, you know, it was a, let's say it was a lady teacher and a picture of her and her husband are on her desk holding hands, looking at each other lovingly. Zero complaints about that. Nobody looks at that and thinks, Mm -mm. what are they doing in their bedroom that night? Mm -mm. You know, or is it all about sex for them? Mm -hmm. But if she had a picture of her and her wife, on that same, just holding hands, looking at each other lovingly, you watch the objections come out. And now it is all about sex, and it's all about disgusting activities, they say. Yeah. It's not about love or bonding or just, you know, this is where my heart is, this is where my mind is. In fact, you shouldn't even look at it all and think anything, but mm-hmm. here's a loving couple. Yeah, I think you made a valid point when you said what it's really about. I do believe that the bands are a distraction. You're absolutely right. I do believe it is to show or to prove or to cut off any potential chance of creating a welcoming environment for individuals who identify as not the norm for society. And how does the society get to determine what's normal? I think that's it. But I'm going to tell you what I also think it is. It is a way to cover up for the parents who are not parenting enough to have a conversation with their children. Interesting. And I'm not budging from that. Just because there is a book that talks about same-sex relationships, or there are two characters who appear to like each other and they are of the same sex, that does not mean pull it from the shelf. If your child checks it out and brings it home and you see what it's about, why not sit down and have a conversation with your child about that book and your stance on that book? Chances are the the child that's checking it out is the one that has two Trying dads to, or two moms and just or, likes to be represented in a book. Or the child who's checking it out is dealing with some issues themselves and they're trying to find an environment in where they can become comfortable and begin to tell their parents. When you were a kid, this is what did I'm you go through. to a book to look stuff up that you weren't being told by your parents all at the, the time? time? All the time. All the time. Here's what we do. We teach children to look up answers. Research, find the answer that is. We that is what we teach. But then when they come up with something that we don't want to talk to them about, we say pull that from them, and we don't want them to use the skills oh, that we taught are, them. These are topics that only parents are allowed to bring up to their children. But let me share with you: not all parents are very good at sharing these topics. No. First of all, I got no sex ed as a kid from my parents. My dad only broached that subject the day before I went off to college. <laughs> I'm very, the day before I left for college, I'm up at late at night. I'm watching TV, kind of nervous. Yeah. He comes down, sits on the couch. He looks at me, and I'm like, "Oh shoot, he's having the talk." <laughs> he says, "Son, you're about to, you know, go off to school, and you're going to be on your own. And uh, I'm just going to say this to you: 
don't go putting things where they don't belong. You know what I mean? <laughs> was that the talk? That was the talk. And I like look at him. He's like, do you know what that means? Like, yes, dad, now get out of here. And he looked relieved and he went off. Yeah. So there was no open discussion. Everything I learned was from friends or educators or from books. And thank goodness I did. Otherwise, I would have gone to college yeah. very unprepared for real life. Yeah, I don't think that I ever can remember that actual conversation. But It'd be I, kind of weird if you had that conversation with my dad. What would he be not doing? Not your conversation. Oh, oh okay. My conversation with my mom and my dad. I don't remember a conversation of that nature, but I will tell you that I made it a priority to have an open discussion with my boys about it so that whatever you're going through, come ask me. Times have changed too. You know, when we were growing up, it may not have been as easy to approach that subject, but because it's so open, even when your children are not bringing it to you. You have adults that are saying, here's something that looks sexual. So they're surrounded around it a lot. And so now the conversation is one you can't avoid. It's one you shouldn't avoid. States with the most underprivileged children in 2023. One in six children live in poverty. The Children's Defense Fund reported that a child is neglected, abused every 48 seconds. Every 48 seconds. That's awful. So what I'm going to give you a couple of numbers here that you can see the link to the article in the show notes and actually go in and investigate other states. To determine the areas in which the children were most disadvantaged, they looked at socioeconomics, the health and the education. You could obtain a score of 50 for socioeconomics, 25 for health and 25 for education. South Carolina is number 12. One being the worst, the most underprivileged kids. South Carolina comes in at number 12 with a score of 52.6. Georgia comes in at 21 and North Carolina comes in at 27. So I'm going to pause here for all the theorists that are out there, anybody in education or healthcare. Whenever you see these numbers and I tell you it's socioeconomics, it's education and it's health, I automatically think everyone should switch their minds to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Wow, that's a deep topic not a lot of people know about. Yeah, but it tells you if you can't satisfy those basic needs, then it is very difficult for you to excel anywhere else. So if we can't get the economics part down to where you're not having to worry as a child if there's food to eat, if there are clothes to wear, where will you sleep? If we can't get that resolved, we can't expect for you to come healthy. That's right. We can't expect for South Carolina to move from the end of the educational list to the top of the list. Now, what you you just gave was a very intellectual answer. My bad. And I, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. We should strive to be intellectual. Okay. I didn't know if I meant I that I will too say from experience, though, that the very first reaction a typical South Carolinian may have when they hear that number is that they say, oh, well, it's, uh, it all starts at the family. It doesn't. In single-parent homes. It That's doesn't. what they say, though. Yeah. You have to, I'm, I'm telling you, you talk to any anybody around here on both sides of the aisle, yeah. they're going to say that a lot of society's problems are because children are coming from single-parent homes. Mm, That's okay. That's the instinctive reaction. Yeah, so let me tell those people, they ain't got nothing to do with it. It might have a little bit, but not a lot. When we talk about economics, I'm going to tell you from this typical report, it contains areas like living arrangements. Do you own or do you rent? That's about how much money are you making? Are you able to sustain life in a house that you're paying a mortgage on? Or are you having to rent? It looks at, yes, single parents. It looks at foster care, unaccompanied homeless children, 
income, and a number of other things. So when we say socioeconomics, we're talking about the socialization of a child as well as the economics, the financing for that particular child. So you cannot just look at single parent homes. And I don't know if they're checking the stats, but there are some single parents out here that are kicking butt raising their children they and are. providing for them. They are. So, yes, it makes sense for everyone to say it's single parents home because you think it takes two incomes to raise a family. Well, ironically, guess where South Carolina ranks in the country in terms of single parent homes? Tell me. Number five. Number five. South Carolina is fifth in the nation for single parent or children that come from single parent homes. And you also hear a lot about, well, the churches, you know, are no longer involved in lives and you need more church. And that's a cause for a lot of our problems. Yeah. South Carolina is 13th in the nation for churches per capita. Mm. We are a very church state, if you had not noticed. Yeah. We, so mm. whatever this cause is for South Carolina's children being in distress, I have to agree with you 100%. It's socioeconomic. Mm-hmm. You, know, you talk about single parent homes. Well, well why are they single parent? Mm-hmm. Well, it's either because the father is locked up in jail or got caught up in drugs or couldn't get a job or you mm-hmm. know didn't get a good education mm-hmm. or, or, or no, no sex education even for the teens. Nope, can't South Carolina is one of the highest in the nation for teen pregnancy South as Carolina well. Say, uh, South Carolina's philosophy is if you don't speak it, it doesn't exist. Exactly. Just know that. And if you don't know, Start to read up on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If we can take care of the base needs, South Carolina can go up. Do you feel it's the government's responsibility to provide those base needs? I feel my response to this is going to sound weird, but I feel it is the government's responsibility to provide opportunities to provide those. Oh, that's good. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, to provide opportunities so that individuals can meet those basic needs. So if you're cutting education funding, is that providing opportunity or denying opportunity? You're doing the opposite. You are denying opportunity as much as you can. Excellent article. This was full of uh, chock full of data. It was very interesting to see the best states in various categories, the worst states in various categories. One thing that the public school system is seeing a lot more of, I think we're doing a better job with tracking, is those children that are experiencing homelessness. Yeah. And I mean, let me tell you something about our kids in South Carolina. You have kids that you don't even know where they slept or when the last time they ate, and they show up every day and they do their dang blang best. So the least we can do as elected officials is make sure that we present the opportunity so that their parents can take that next step and not I block agree. them. And that's a wrap for this episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South. We hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you did... We would sure appreciate a rating and review so that our reach can grow. If you are a blue dot in a red sea, keep the faith, keep up the hard work, get involved in any way you can. If you want to see something different, you have to make a difference. Run for office. The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023, all rights reserved.